0: Hello, and welcome to another episode of Casting Views, the podcast which tries to be informative, but we're always entertaining, I hope. This week, I'm a I'm on my own in terms of hosting. However, I'm not alone because I've got good friend of the show back, Antonio, from numerous podcasts. Let's say that. Say hi, Antonio.
1: Hello, Dan. Thank you for having me on Casting Views. How's it going? I'm great, man. Like, uh... I have like a four-day weekend. I've been knocking out a bunch of episodes, getting them banked for a busy April. And could you believe it? I actually had time to jump on your
0: show. So this just really kind of makes my day, makes my weekend. <laughs> no, thank you for for jumping in short notice because I'm going I'm, I'm to keep saying it every time you're on, but I, I like to refer to you as the busiest man in podcasting because you are still, you still got your three podcasts. So how are each of those going at the moment? Everything's great, you know, and in a
1: way, I kind of have a fourth one, maybe even a fifth one. We talked about that a little bit uh, last time, just like I might have a fifth show coming up, but a fourth show that's kind of developed is I've started doing local cinema features on the cult worthy cinema podcast called Salt City Cinema. I'm like four episodes in and it's just me talking to local filmmakers, cinema enthusiasts, production people to kind of expose the growth of the movie and cinema production underground of Salt Lake city, where, you know, it used to be a big thing in the nineties where big studios would come out and they'd make movies in Utah because there were all these tax incentives. So there's a lot of talent here. And then in like the two thousands, it kind of dried up and now it's coming back more on the indie scene. And I'm really excited about that. So I've kind of started a new series, essentially kind of a new podcast focusing on just that. So yeah, I'm pretty busy, you could say. And The Milf and Me is is literally taking off, isn't it? The Milf and Me is about four months old, almost five. And it's almost caught up and listens to the two shows I've had for almost two years now. So it's definitely a, a hot commodity for me right now.
0: And some of your, your recent episodes have been really good. I think I just got through listening. It was the first date, which was a really good episode. And then you, the, the, your current one at time of recording anyway was the one where your friend Mike came on. Yeah. Yep, everyone, if you're not listening to the cult worthy or Milf and Me, check them out because they, they really are worthy of your time to use a pun. <laughs> <there. Nice>. and, <laughs> And before we go on, I want to tell everyone listening, you and I had the opportunity to meet up recently, didn't we? We did. You are the first person in our little podcast
1: network that I got to meet in person, which is exciting because you're the one that lives the furthest away from (laughs) anyone else. So that was a great time. We went to Las Vegas and had a blast, even though it was only a day, day and a half. It was still a blast.
0: So I, yeah, I went on a, I think it was a five-day trip to to Las Vegas, let our little group of pods know. And Antonio, who's, you're, yeah, you're in Salt Lake, aren't you, Utah, mm-hmm. said, I'll fly down and meet you, which I, I, I just thought was amazing. Now, what you didn't know at the time, and I didn't tell you right till the end because it had been a secret from everyone. So I had to, uh I had to make sure I let certain people back home know first, but yeah, went to Vegas to get married. And so, so I did that. So after 22 years, I made a... Uh, what did I say? An honest woman out of my wife. And she made an honest man out of me, finally. <laughs> but yeah, it was really cool. So I got to meet you. We went to a comedy club, didn't we? We had a bit of fun. You kind of got me on the, the drinks. So I hadn't had a drink that whole trip. <laughs> that, yeah, that well, night. When, just... when in Vegas, Dan, you know, we
1: walked the strip. We got a drink at every place we went to. And we even had a chance to go to a record store the next day. And that was a lot of fun, too. Actually, that, that store is amazing. Do you want to give a shout out? Oh, yeah, for sure. If you're ever in Vegas, visit my friend David Rosen. He's the host of the Piecing It Together podcast. He and his dad have a record shop out there called Wax Tracks. And it's just a cool old school record store in like an old converted house that probably has more albums per square foot than I've ever seen in any record store
0: I've ever been in. Great, great collection. Seriously, I actually said if I was ever, I don't see I'm going back to Vegas, but if I ever do, I'm going with an empty case. And a week, <laughs> and I'm just going to spend my my week in that store. That, like you said, wall to wall, uh, floor to ceiling, and the memorabilia as well. That's uh, oh yeah, that memorabilia. Also, yeah, we could have spent a week in there easy. <laughs> brilliant, brilliant. But we're not here to talk about movies. We're not here to talk about music. Well, well, possibly we are actually. But before we get into what we're going to talk about, let's hear from some friends of both of ours. Let's hear from super familiar with the Wilsons. The super familiar with the Wilsons podcast. You know that family whose house you hung out in when you were a kid? The house was a little loud and
1: chaotic, but always fun. And sometimes felt more home than home. Well, that's us. We're the Wilsons, and we welcome you into our podcast. With silly chat, ridiculous games, and interviews with interesting people. Like a spin doctor. The super familiar with the Wilsons
0: podcast.
1: Welcome home.
0: And we're back. So, Antonio. We are going to hold a dinner party and I've given you the chance to invite three celebrities or three famous people. I think I did say living or dead, I think I said to you. So I want you and I to discuss what our perfect dinner party is going to be. The guests will bring. I think I've thrown you a curveball by saying what we're going to serve them, what meal we're going to cook up. And if and for me, I, I mean, it's up to you again, I, I threw this to you last minute before we recorded if there's a soundtrack or Particular music you're going to play to them. And like I said, mine, there's a particular reason why I've thrown that one in when going to it. So, how do you do this? Should we do a guest each? We alternate and then we'll work out, we'll we'll find out what our total party is going to be.
1: Yeah. And before we do that, like I was trying to think of how I was going to split this up because, you know, me, I'm a movie guy, I'm a host of a movie podcast. It is pretty instinctual that I would bring three movie celebrities or film celebrities. And so the way that I did it to kind of not sound monotonous is I picked a personality that I really admired that is in the industry that I currently am in. That might even be like the catalyst of why I chose that industry. And of course, a movie person. And then I wanted to pick either an author slash writer or a musician. And here's the thing. As much as I am a music appreciator, I'm not very well educated in the method or the history of music or musicians, except for like maybe two or three bands that I'm really passionate about. But I am really well versed in a lot of writings and authors and books and stuff. So I chose that direction for my third rather than music. How did you decide?
0: That's interesting as well, because yeah, we we didn't discuss this before. So I didn't put any limits other than just three people. So yeah, I want is from three different areas distinct areas so kind of chosen mainly the the three areas I'm most interested in so one is from the music world one is from the food world and one is from the acting world as well so it'll be interesting because you said about the the industry you're currently in so it'll be interesting to see who you've got there and again on top of that though I wanted to make sure I had people that I could literally grill through the night someone you know people who've got stories people who have got some fun things that we could talk about. I'd be interested in their history, let alone just the fact that they've potentially reached the top of their game or are, or are hugely successful in their game. I'd, I'd want to I'd sit back, ha- let them have a couple of glasses of wine and see, <laughs> see what comes out. And see, that's interesting. I picked a different
1: approach where I wanted to talk to people that I didn't really want to grill or ask questions. I wanted to talk to people whose works, whether they're literary or cinematic, that I'm so familiar with and so familiar with like their origins and the things that pushed them in that direction that we could literally just have a conversation about those worlds and those projects that inspired them to be what they were without me having to ask, how did you get started? Where did you first want to be a writer? That kind of stuff. Because I do that all the time on podcasts. I, I talk and ask people questions. And if I'm going to have a dinner with someone, I'm not saying that there's a wrong way to do this. I would love to just like get in a conversation that like maybe would lead to like a subject, whether it was a book or a movie or a piece of writing in a newspaper. And then we could just talk. That's how I kind of approached it.
0: Okay, so do you want to go first or shall I go first? I mean, I'll go first. (laughs) Let's alternate. We'll do one each. So we kind of uh, build up uh, our our parties as we go along. So, yeah, hit, hit me with your first one.
1: I mean, I also didn't have any backups other than these three. So if we do have crossover, maybe we can just both talk about it and it'd be a three person dinner. Um, it'd be interesting <laughs>
0: if we did. It'd be interesting if we did.
1: So for mine, you know, I am a culinarian by trade. I r- originally went to production school and began like my, my college career in media, digital video production and communication with the intent of going to film school. But I just couldn't wrap my head around the fact that they would try to teach you to not be creative. You know, They wanted to teach you the process first, and you'd apply your creativity later. So instead, I explored my second passion as a career, which was the culinary world. I am a chef by trade. Right now, I'm a culinary director for a high-end supermarket that I enjoy that job very much. I was in the restaurant industry for almost 20 years so I've already paid my dues behind the kitchen and on the line and, you know, holding the clipboard and freezing walk-in freezers and coolers. And what got me there was in 1999, reading a book from this chef that had just barely come out in the big scene. He had written a few articles for like the New Yorker and for the New York Times, eventually wrote a book that was kind of like an expose of the culinary underbelly, became a huge overnight success at age 45. When most people are trying to figure out how to wind their careers down, he was taking off with his. And of course, I'm talking about Anthony Bourdain. The guy, if I could say that there is anyone that I would consider a hero to me, it's this guy, because it was exactly the kind of hero that I wanted. I've always been a little rebellious. I've always been really kind of punk rock and not really following the traditional standards and rules of like what you're supposed to do with your career and what you're supposed to do in college. I'm just too much of a creative person, hence that's why I'm podcasting a lot. But you know, in my teenage years, in my childhood too, I was an actor. My mom had me auditioning for commercials and doing plays and taking acting and dancing and singing lessons all the time. I did not have much of a, a childhood per se because I was doing all these things. And one of the things I really liked doing is my aunt owned a catering company, so I would help her with her catering stuff. I Peel potatoes. I'd wash dishes. I'd serve champagne. Anything that they needed me to do, I'd do. And I really liked the idea of doing that. So when I gave up on the whole media thing, I started working in kitchens, just on the line, cooking with the intent of going to culinary school. And during that time, like I said, this is 99, 2000, I read this book in hardcover, first time out, and it became my Bible. And it became a Bible for a lot of other people like me. And because of this book, I swear, this book and the explosion of the popularity of Food Network created, I'm going to say, like a six, seven year window where all of a sudden everyone wanted to go to culinary school. Everyone wanted to be a chef because it seemed so, I'm not going to say glamorous, but it seemed so adventurous and punk rock. And a lot of that, I have to say, has to do with this book, Kitchen Confidential, that Anthony Bourdain wrote. I mean, this guy was a, a, a hippie and a dropout and a drug addict and a heroin peddler at one point, all this time working in the fanciest, nicest kitchens in New York city, getting fired from them, then working like at a hash house and then going back to the high end of New York city, like this constant roller coaster. And so in this biography that he wrote, this expose, it just kind of tracked his chef journey. And I'm like, that is so punk rock. And he's a huge punk rock fan. I've read all of his books. I've watched all of his shows. I've read all of his articles. I feel like if there's anyone that I at least think that I know on a personal level that I've never even met or ever had the opportunity to meet, it's him. Because I feel like I've read every word he's ever written, and I feel like we got a real insight into who he was and his doubts and his his questions of whether or not he was meant for fame. Because that was never his intention. All of a sudden, he's writing, and now he's on TV, and now he is a a personality. And I get that. I get that it could be exciting at first, but then living up to an expectation that, sadly, towards the end of his life, which ended way too early, it became a little overwhelming. Like He said many times that he was not meant for that life, but it got to a point where he didn't know how to do anything else but that life. So if I had the opportunity to sit and have dinner with the guy, it wouldn't be to ask questions of, you know, how you got started or what your favorite moments were, because he's already written about it. We already know all about it. It's all in his books. I would just want to talk about the things that aren't in the books. I want to really know about the struggles like I want to know where he bought the heroin. I want to know. <laughs> w- I want to know what bars were the best bars to listen to punk rock and and drink to until like five in the morning. Not that I want to go do those things or relive, relive those experiences, but I really want to know what's not in the books and what's not in the articles because he probably wrote a lot about it. And you know, editors take stuff like that out because like
0: you no know, people yeah, want to know yeah. about the restaurants and stuff. For me, I think. Anthony Bourdain, he's one of the ones, he, I'm not, obviously, I'm not going to speak for everyone this side upon, but wasn't one that we heard of massively, or it wasn't, I don't think it was too prominent. And, I, and I'm wondering if it's because, like you said, he, he kind of burst on the scene, did you say, mid 90s? So I think that was pre ordered the satellite channels and cable channels over here and, and the internet. So it, it wasn't one of these chefs that I knew too much about up until kind of the latter, the latter years, if you know based on what kind of and following what happened to him subsequently
1: and that was like kind of his whole point is he he didn't want to be what he called the food network people he didn't want to be a bobblehead with a cooking show you know because he was a good chef he was a good kitchen manager and kitchen leader but he wasn't out there trying to create signature dishes for people to make at home his whole thing was like no come out to the restaurant Like, don't listen to these chuckleheads who are going to be showing you how to make budget versions of these fine meals that chefs like me spend their life and hours and hours and hours each week perfecting so you can come patron our business. He was actually really against that. You know, it's like, eat tuna sandwiches at home. Like, go out and have a good meal. Don't listen to these people who are trying to teach you how to make fine dining. Like, he was really, really big on that message, and I really appreciate that because I feel the same way, too. So I think if we were to sit down, you know, we, we were talking about what are our three course meals? Because I feel I know the guy so well from reading all of his books and watching his shows. I mean, yes, he had a very high, high, high appreciation for haute cuisine and fine dining. But his happiest moments on his show and in his books is when he was just eating casual fare in interesting places. So... We'd start with just some really solid chicken wings, man. Like some buffalo wings. Nice. nice. Yeah. Get our fingers dirty. Get our lips red from chili sauce. And just kind of get to know each other. Talk about, hey, man, you know, you got into this world of, of working in kitchens because you saw these like pirate ship cooks in a small New England coastal town get high, get laid get just all sorts of debauchery in their lives and that looked fun to you because he came from a kind of stuffy upbringing and he wanted to be a rebel a rebellious person i kind of feel the same way like we could bond over that like yeah man it's like my mom wanted to be be an actor and she wanted to be a performer and really i kind of wanted to be behind the scenes and boss people around and that's why i really jumped into the culinary industry so i could be a chef and have people say, yes, chef, no, chef, and not have to be yeah, the center yeah. of attention.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's uh, no, cool. And and I really like the idea of that start. And just to go back to, to our, us meeting up. And again, I'm just going to say that Antonio is just the nicest person in the world as well. Oh, You took me to a couple of places you like. So we went to that seafood place, didn't we? Where it is just, like you said, there's no pretentiousness. It is just good food dumped onto the table, digging with your hands you tear it apart with your hands you have to wear a bib absolutely yeah you have to wear a bib and it's amazing and then you took that tiki bar as well which is a really nice little place and again it just does what it says it's a nice place to hang out and have drinks and i think that like i said there are so many places that want to be the highest end and and you know we've got salt bay etc but more than ever now just a real good home comfort food and drink or a, a regular establishment where you can have a good time and they look after you is is more important than ever i think
1: i agree especially if you are in this case meeting people you've never met you don't want to feel like there is a pressure from the staff or pressure from people that are on looking you in, in a nice place where you have to like watch your manners you know what if you're in the middle of a story and you just yell the word fuck And everyone turns their heads, you know, you want to be in an environment where you feel comfortable to be yourself. And that's kind of where I was going with this.
0: Right. Well, I'm going to go to my first one and and my starter. Now, this this guy is probably the complete opposite to everything you've just said. So I'm going to start with the food world. But I've gone for Gordon Ramsay.
1: (laughs) I knew you were going to say
0: that. Yeah. Now, hear me out. So I get it. I get it. He's like one of these modern ones and he's obviously the TV the TV personality. I look at him and I think, whether you like him or dislike him, he he absolutely has made a success for himself. Now, you know, he I don't believe he was born into like riches, and ironically, he was trying to be a footballer. He was yeah, I knew that. Course to be a good footballer, but then got inju- injury injuries, so then turned his mind to the culinary side of things. And I think it was already at the age of 19, he was already kind of working in kitchens and, and, and kind of rising up the ranks. And when he was 19 or 20, he ran a kitchen and a 60-seat dining room at a restaurant. And so he left there. Then 23, so again, young age, he moved to Paris to train in French cuisine for three years because I think he worked for Marco Pierre White in London. He
1: he did, 100%. He go
0: to go to France and do it. And then after that, he then worked on a private yacht. And I think he went to places like Bermuda and Italy, where he learned then the Italian cuisine. I mean, he's had 17 Michelin stars throughout his career. He's currently hold seven. That makes him the third in the top 10 chefs. And then, yeah, you, you've you got the bit now which people may or may not like is his whole TV career. So he's got so many shows. And we, we spoke about a couple uh, when we met up, you know, because I've recently started watching The Next Level Chef, So... The questioning when when I said questioning earlier for me it would be more about I want to know about those early years like that year or two on the private yacht where you know who did he see what kind of happened on these trips you know who did he cook for I just like the fact that at a young age you know again nineteen sort of twenty he's going around the world to to kind of learn that skill so I can't begrudge him the TV fame if you know what I mean because now he's kind of making the most of it so see yeah I've gone for fellow Brit Gordon Ramsay as my first choice
1: I like it a lot too and you know I defend Gordon Ramsay a lot because there are a lot of people that just know him from TV not understanding that he had really like a 20 plus year career in some of the most high-end workhorse kitchens in London and Paris like that's not an easy job anyone that has eaten at a very nice fine dining restaurant where you know it's like a two-hour process and you have a bevy of courses, and the bill is like $1,000. It looks so defined and so easy, but behind the scenes, it really is like an organized chaos. A good chef, a good kitchen manager, will know that there needs to be a very precise level of organization and chaos. It's not all like that film, The Menu, that just came out, where everything is like a perfectly orchestrated ballet. There is blood. There is sweat. There are tears. I mean, there's, there's a video of Marco Pierre White making Gordon Ramsay cry <laughs> when he was like, you know, 22 years old in the kitchen. And he's not ashamed of it. But he's like, that's how you learn. You need people to kind of break your spirit and break your ego so you can
0: build up one of your own. And those are the kind of stories that I would love
1: to talk to him about for sure.
0: Yeah, and absolutely. And and as you said, yeah, he is, he is a top chef. So he's worked for Marco Pierre White. He's worked for Albert Roux. I think he's worked for um, Guy Savoy. And I don't necessarily like, so for many years, his programs were like the angry, angry persona, but some of his more recent ones is kind of where he's becoming almost like a mentor to people. And that's where you show his kind of like true self, wanting to help people and progress people. And even across America, I mean, the chains of of restaurants, I mean, you can't go sort of more than it feels like hundred yards in Vegas without stopping by a Ramsey restaurant.
1: Yeah, this is true.
0: So I really, I I just think it's really interesting. And I think, like I said, his his early career, that that purely the chef side of things. I think there's some fascinating stories in him there.
1: Now, would you want him to cook for you? Would you want to be in his one of his places? Or would you want him to take you to a place that he suggests so he doesn't have to worry about? Because this is where I would be. If I was him and you guys were eating at one of his restaurants and then something came to the table, he didn't like it. The conversation would stop and he'd go back and yell at the kitchen. Like, that's the way I would no, say
0: it. I, I'd be providing the meal and he'd be told at the start, he's in my house, so there's no complaining. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. But I think I've chosen a nice menu and I think he'll he'll appreciate the main, but for for let's do, yeah, one course per guest. So to start, I'm going for a nice French onion soup. Ooh, I like that. Flavoursome, something to dip the bread in. I, I'm, I like dipping. So so I think, yeah, it's, it's all about the flavours for me, yeah. With the gruyere melted on top of the bread or just the bread? We we do it two different ways out here. Uh, so I'd have the cheese, yeah, on top of the soup. So I'd I'd like the yeah. crust on crust of cheese on the top, yes. Yeah, so you're breaking into it, yeah. Just I I'm all about the flavors. I like anything that's been marinated or stewed or steeped for like 24 or 48 hours. I like you know I'm all about the 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 deep flavors. So
1: I could be wrong. It could be another chef, but I'm pretty sure it's him. Where he said there are three basic dishes that anyone should be able to make anyone should be able to make a decent omelet and then anyone should be able to make a decent french onion soup because it's so simple to make that it's it should be impossible to screw up so he appreciates a good french onion soup and then everyone should know how to cook a steak like he said that those three things would be like the fundamentals if i had to teach anyone how to do anything those three things you can feed a guest feed a family and your your worth and your value will be so much higher if you knew how to make
0: just those three things there you go so if if that was him he'd be happy with me so far i like it all right who's who's your second guess who's next through your front door
1: okay so this is where i'm gonna get a little stereotypical movie guy but like me i always have little caveats and explanations wise my guest for dinner for sure would be Quentin Tarantino. Nice. But here's the thing. Quentin Tarantino is not my favorite filmmaker. He's not my favorite screenwriter, far from it, because he and I share, and a lot of people I feel, probably feel the same way, Tarantino is a very good emulator of filmmakers, screenwriters, TV producers of the past, and all of their creative processes make him who he is. He will be the first to admit that he doesn't really feel like he has a very original eye or vision, and people say, "Oh, he's such an original filmmaker." He's like, "No, I'm not." He's like, "I literally copy, facsimile, steal from all the people who I loved, and I turn that into my style." I love that because a, there's a humility to it. You know, yeah, yeah. I'm sure he would have some kind of Hollywood ego because he's accomplished a lot. But a lot of people that I've talked to have met him or spent time with him in production world. He just loves making movies. He loves watching movies and making movies a lot of fun. Yes, there's business. Yes, there's professionalism. But he has a podcast now, which is now one of my favorite podcasts, but even before the podcast, which is called the Video Archives Podcast. This is a guy that if someone's interviewing him about a movie, like his movie, he will literally like stop two questions in and just go off on a five-minute rant about some random movie from his video store in the eighties and just go off on it. He's so passionate about other people's works that sometimes he feels like he doesn't even want to talk about his own. And that's why I think he'd be an excellent dinner guy because I've seen thousands of films and thousands of films that I've seen came from his list of films that he loves. So it'd be like just walking into a video store or in our case, a record store, like when we were in Vegas yeah. and just, talking to the guy behind the counter about movies and inspirations and other filmmakers and weird French new wave stuff that no one really watches anymore. So I would want to go and eat chili dogs in a hot dog stand in Los Angeles and just sit there and talk about all these films that I know he's seen or films that maybe he hasn't seen, which good luck on that and how they've worked their way into Whether it's a script he's written, a film he's made, or something that he hasn't even made yet but has been gestating. That's probably really what I want to know. Because he said in one of his audio commentaries, before he was the age of 25, when he started selling screenplays, he had already written 30 movies. None of them were all the way finished because he couldn't figure them out. But he had 30 stories. I want to know what those were. And I want to know where they came from.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it, it became fashionable a little while ago, didn't it? To, to kind of criticise him, you know, for originality, etc. But yeah, like I said, I don't think he's ever called himself out as being that. And and if you look at a lot of the directors, it, you know, there's not necessarily a whole load of originality coming out, not in, in the mainstream. And and I just think what I like about him is he just looks like someone who absolutely loves the history of film. Mm-hmm. I can't criticise someone like that because he's just got a passion for his is art so would you kind of uh talk to her about any of your favorite movies or or like your because you obviously you, you you present the cult worthy is it would you would you go through anything that you've dug up or or you've really liked in terms of your pod there oh 100 percent. i actually
1: talked about this with the guys from the Derazzle podcast a few weeks ago where it's becoming a thing where like all these movies that have been on my short list that no one's talked about all of a sudden podcasts like his podcast and the Pure Cinema podcast. I don't know if it's just serendipity, but now they're talking about them too. So I actually have a small group of haters who think that I'm just copying those shows by talking about these movies. And I'm like, no, I'm not. They're just, they are films that, we're all nerds, right? Like we are, like you're a comic book and music nerd. I'm a movie nerd. We fully admit that. And I think that there's a real naivety in some people where they think that They are such a deep nerd that no one else can appreciate the same stuff they appreciate. Oh man, we are a dime a dozen. We just happen to be the ones that got a microphone instead of in front of our face and started talking about it. So,
0: yeah, I think I mentioned it in one of my episodes recently was about, yeah, people that like to gatekeep. It's like, you know, when you say, oh, I like this band oh, well, do you know what their debut album was called and what chart position it reached and what volume it sold? No, well, you ain't a fan. There's those kind of people. <laughs> and it's like, we can all appreciate the films. We don't have to be the first one. Agreed. Okay, so did you say Chili Dogs then?
1: Yeah, man. Like, uh, probably at Pink's, you know, which is a famous LA hot dog spot. He's featured it in some of his screenplays. So I know he's a guy or he knows his fan and he's an LA dude. So I know he likes to keep things LA based. So I feel that he'd be comfortable in that environment. And I'm pretty much comfortable anywhere. I think that'd be a lot more, there'd be a lot less stress and there'd be a lot less anxiety knowing that okay, we're both like the chili, like the chicken wings with Bourdain, you know, we're gonna get messy. So we're gonna have to like lower our social expectations. And in that sense, you can have a more personal conversation because you've already broken down that wall of like. Oh, do I
0: got something on my lip? Do I got something on my shirt? You know? Well, do you know what? I've never had chili dogs. So if we ever meet up again, I need you to take me for a chili dog. Oh, hell yeah. Right. My second guess. Oh, okay, I'm going to switch the order of mine again. So mine I'm going to keep is from the entertainment world. And this was when I was looking at the list of people I was having. This was a bit of a random one in, in terms of comparing them to, to the other two. I'm going for an actress and I'm going for Zoe Saldana. Oh, interesting. Yeah, the reason being is, I mean, I th- firstly, I, I I really like her. She's currently in the top three highest grossing films of all time. It's currently Avatar. Avatar 2, I think, has just gone there, plus Avengers. She's been in some of the big franchises. Uh, so, yeah, so Avatar, uh, the MCU, Star Trek. I believe she had a role in one of the Pirates of the Caribbeans. She is just one of these actresses who's had fortune and obviously... The, you know the work rate to put to be in these big grossing films it'd be great to speak to her about working with uh, Cameron and working with the MCU directors I, I, I just think she'd be someone fascinating to kind of talk about these experiences having been in all these films
1: well and also she started very very young in other projects uh, the first time I saw her was in a film called center stage about ballerinas I think in like the mid to late nineties before she kind of started doing the the action stuff and the comic book stuff. And there is something interesting to me about performers that, you know, she can absolutely lead a movie, but she seems to get more attention and better recognition when she's part of an ensemble. And to me, I think I've talked about this on, on a podcast recently where I have more appreciation for like working actors and actors that can blend into the film and add to the film and not take the whole film for themselves. So like when you go and see a Nicolas Cage movie, when you go see a Stallone movie, you're watching it because it is one of their movies. Sometimes when they try and take a smaller role or a side role, it doesn't work because they can't turn off yeah. that attraction, that magnetism that they are known for and fit into an ensemble where I think actors and performers like Zoe Saldana do that amazingly. Like, okay, you need me to be a Navi warrior? Great. I can do that. I can do this. I can be a dancer. I can be a rock star. I can be a hitman. I find that much more impressing than being the magnetic
0: personality who takes the movie for themselves. I couldn't actually put it any more perfect than that. And and like you said, the fact that she is an actress like that and is in the biggest grossing films whereas you know we've got some real big blockbuster actors and actresses out there who bomb yeah well yeah yeah like i said i just think she's got quite a presence on screen i'd have her in so uh, i think she'd get on with gordon i think they'd be (laughs) all right together so far i I don't think i'd have any issues and in terms of my my main dish um, and this is where gordon would be happy is and i'm giving an option here because i think zoe and my third guest are both vegetarian so i'd be having a beef or salmon or mushroom wellington with potatoes and vegetables creamed potatoes and vegetables on the side so beef wellington isn't anything overly i mean a lot of places do it now so it's it's just good standard fare i think ultimately steak or fish or, or veg with potatoes and more veg so
1: <laughs> and a nice puff pastry surrounding it
0: yeah <laughs> yeah so that would be my second guest. Who's your third person walking through your door? So this was actually like the hardest one for me because the first two were just kind of standing
1: out there. And like I said, I struggled between uh, a literary personality and a musician personality. And then when I decided on the literary personality, okay, I'm like, okay, well, who do I talk to? Hemingway? Do I talk to? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> do I talk to Herbert Ashbury, who wrote all these great like true crime novels? and uh, essays back in the early 20s and 30s. Like, I had so many people. And because I am a movie guy, and because it does kind of blend into uh, my conversation with Tarantino, I chose for my third celebrity, long since past, sadly. Um, do you know who Pauline Kale is? It's not a name immediately. So Pauline Kale is one of the uh, first real prominent and most controversial film critics of her day, especially being a female. She was known for not really as much writing critiques and reviews of films as much as she was writing very opinionated essays about films. Like, so her career was from like the early sixties till the mid nineties. She passed away in 2001 and she approached it from a very different way than a lot of her contemporaries did where a lot of her male contemporaries and literary trained contemporaries they and i've had this conversation before in the podcast too their bread and butter was to really make critique fun and biting to read you know people wanted to read their critiques for the zingers they wanted to see them tear films apart and really talk shit about the actors and the directors and the music the same way that we like to enjoy watching Gordon Ramsay tear apart a guy on Hell's Kitchen, you know? Yeah. Like, yeah. there is a lucrative... There is a lucrative sense to being the heel when it comes to that. You you can get more reads, more money, more cents per word on paper if you play that game. Pauline Kael did something a little bit different. She would write, like, these critical essays not really telling you whether or not the movie was good or bad and go see it as much as it was. What is the social commentary of this movie? What is the, what is the message that the filmmaker is trying to put out there or the performers, or were these even the right performers? Or if this was my film, this is who I would cast in it. So she wrote for the New Yorker for, 30 40 years and she had written for the New York Times and City Lights all these different magazines and her contemporaries really just didn't like her because a she was kind of a rebel she didn't follow the formula she brought some like credibility and charm and and pizzazz to her writing that maybe she didn't sell as many magazines or newspapers or words as other people did but what she did do was gain a lot of respect from people in the industry that these nine to five critics couldn't get because they were so adamant about just tearing apart and being overly critical and overly spicy when they were giving their critiques and reviews. Because these were the days before social media and Rotten Tomatoes. If you wanted to sell a movie, you had to have a great poster, you had to have a good trailer, and you had to get a good review in the newspaper. This is before any of those external factors that we have today that affect movies were. And what her writing did is her writing actually got people to care about a film that they hadn't even seen yet. So Tarantino loves her. A lot of filmmakers love her. Scorsese loves her. Even when they maybe were taken down in her critiques of their films, they were done almost as like, hey, this is what I would have done. I'm not a filmmaker. But this is where this film challenged me. And I feel I would have gotten a better experience out of it if you had maybe taken it this direction or used a different piece of music or different editing instead of like the Roger Ebert and Cis- uh, Gene Siskel, Roger Ebert, thumbs up, thumbs down. You know, she, she put a lot of thought into it. Her books are great. Her essays are great. So really, while we are having dessert, which in my case would be Bananas Foster and a nice cup of coffee with her, What's bananas Foster? Bananas Foster is a a dish out here. I think it was originated at the Commander's Palace in New Orleans. It is uh, bananas, often served with crepes, cooked in like a rum butter sauce, and then set off flambe, Sometimes with a scoop of ice cream. Very just nice. a really really nice kind of like traditional palate cleansing dish. I'm a big fan of it. And just kind I of think you sorry I think you've her.
0: won the I think you've won the dessert wars, but <laughs> no spoiler yet. You've definitely won the dessert wars. So do you think with her then? Since you know the real popularity of like these reality shows where it feels like yeah you want to be or people want to be that voyeuristic fly on the wall when people are being torn apart. There's that kind of attraction to that, where and that's what I was saying with Gordon Ramsay's I actually prefer more of his more modern shows where he's being more of a mentor and and a nice guy because you kind of want to see that encouragement. Do you think though? Because you said she she passed away quite a while ago, two thousand and one. Yes. Do you think that maybe if she the she'd been around now sort of post like internet phase she'd have got a lot more following a lot more fame Would she'd been more pop- popular because it's kind of that just before isn't it
1: i don't think she wanted that like for her it was more important to her to be respected by her peers and the people in the industry than it was to be a personality i mean I'm, she she was writing and critiquing really right during the height of review shows of people like Leonard Maltin and Jean Shalit and Siskel and Ebert. And she didn't want any of that. Like she was a, she was a literary person. She wasn't looking for that. According to everything I've read about her, she was a, a, a bohemian in her youth. She didn't consider herself a literary or, or a scholar as the people that were writing at the time and then getting these TV shows and becoming personalities. Like she, she was enough of an outlier where she could gain the trust and respect of people in the industry and not feel like it was going to be exploited on a TV show. So I think she probably, in my opinion, was right where she wanted to be because she had access by not being too flamboyant about it.
0: You know what I mean? Okay, yeah, I know, that's that's fair enough. And I think, yeah, that fits right in with um, your other two guests as well.
1: Oh, yeah, I love outliers, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: Okay, so my third and final, although ironically it was the first name I put down when I was doing this, is um, Paul McCartney.
1: Fascinating, absolutely, I can see that.
0: I mean, again, I, I've said a number of times my, I really do love my music and, yeah, I'm a huge Beatles fan. And so my first point here was, why wouldn't I invite him? He was in the Beatles. (laughs) So so that's number (laughs) one. But, you know, I've just got some stats here. And it's about... The fact is, he's released music over 70 years. His first uh, single or, or album was in the 50s. And he's released every decade. So over 70 years. He has done... 26 studio albums, four compilation albums, nine live albums, 37 video albums, three P's, 111 singles, seven classical albums, five electronic albums, 17 box sets, and 79 music videos. He's had 22 number one British albums. He's written or co co-wrote 129 songs that cracked the Billboard Hot 100, which Night One made the top 10. As of February this year, he sold a to- total of 90 million copies just from his solo albums, because of all that, he's estimated to be the richest rock star of all time with a a net worth of $1.3 billion. For me, and this is where I said right at the start, the whole thing about when I said about grilling someone is about this guy. I mean, 70 years in the music business, from the Beatles through to Wings, through to his solo career, everything he's seen, everything he's done, everyone he's met, I just think there's a whole treasure chest of, of stories that haven't even made the light of day from him. Some people may not like the Beatles, but I, again, I just think the the longevity of the guy. I mean, last year, he headlined uh, Glastonbury last year. And by all accounts, it was, you know, it was it was a really good performance. I just couldn't imagine not wanting to be able to meet him.
1: Uh, you know, there's there's very few people that I'd actually be afraid to meet <laughs> because of the all encompassing like shock value of actually meeting them because they feel so otherworldly and uh not even human at that point and and paul mccartney's one of them like i wouldn't even know where to begin
0: (laughs) so yeah (laughs) and that's it just because of that whole back catalog of of albums i've I've written you know and and you know the beatles when you do look at them deep down they did burn brightly they burnt hard and brightly and i think it was last year was it the peter jackson remastering Mm -hmm. of the the get back I i don't know if you've seen that i mean it's fascinating Yeah, it was amazing. Yeah, and the footage, it just looks like it's actually made this year. It looks like it was Mm -hmm. made in the 2020s. You know, you see the dynamics between them because there, there there was a lot of, yeah, there was a lot of friction. I guess you put four guys together and they have that much success that quickly. And also for me, the way the music transformed from the early catchy pop tunes through to the psychedelic and even sort of transcendental kind of music towards the end. I I just think yeah it's um I'd need to have him round for a week again I think not just one meal I'd have to invite him around and and lodge. I think a lot of people forget or don't realize that his solo
1: career has far encompassed the amount of time that the Beatles were together, even in their most creative uh, stages. You know, if you think that they they hit big in '64 here in the states, and then were done by 1970. I mean that's yeah. barely six years, but the amount of Uh, development and evolution in their music style in that sect in that six years you know bands like radiohead put out an album every like three or four sometimes longer years and the beatles had a full musical evolution in the spans of two radiohead albums that still blows my mind and then for him to completely reinvent himself and create this other five decade long career on his own with wings and himself and all the other projects he's involved been involved in yeah it's it's very intimidating to me to even know where to start having that conversation with a guy like that
0: yeah no no and and again you've you've hit it spot on yeah the the solo work is is just and and i really do like his his solo work. i mean flaming pies is a great great album um egypt station and i think there's a song on it somebody described a song i think it was on that album as the greatest coldplay song that coldplay didn't like <laughs> because and it is if you listen to it it's just great and you could imagine them them doing it so again i almost think even if you didn't like him or the beatles you have to like one of there there will be a song of his or an album of his you will like because he's just done so much different you know different kind of music so he'd be number 1 on my list but he's the third guest and Ironically, what I would do is because he's there, I'd probably be playing the Rolling Stones on the stereo in the background. <laughs> I like it. Yeah, my dessert, I've gone really classical. Uh, and this is why I say you, you win hands down. I've gone for the a, a fairly plain cheese board with biscuits with grapes and apple on the side for, you know, to cleanse the palate. But yeah, sort of a, a nice camembert, brie, Stilton, some cheddar. Yeah, with selection of biscuits. Uh, that, Again, because it's kind of what I like. So.
1: that's funny because here in the states that's considered an appetizer for the most part
0: (laughs) yeah i know it is it is odd when when you look at it but yeah we kind of tend to have it at at the end as a nice little um. you know because often people don't want the big chocolate fudge cakes or chocolate brownies i have a question would you
1: bring up the whole topic of him being dead and being an impersonator (laughs) would you bring up that conspiracy theory or would you let it rest
0: no, I'd love to ask him about it. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. I've got, there was an episode we've done on Internet Conspiracies where there is this theory that they somebody bought back a, a Beatles that album tape. from a different, yeah, different dimension. Yeah. So I'd ask him about that. But yeah, the whole the whole Paul McCartney died in like the, the 60s or 70s, again, it's a fascinating conspiracy mm-hmm. if you go down that rabbit hole.
1: There's people that say they can prove it with like facial structure and all
0: that stuff like that yeah <laughs> well in this oh this world anything's possible isn't it anything right possible. <laughs> okay but uh, i was gonna say if if i didn't have though the, the dessert if it was for me I, i'd probably upgrade it or, or swap it out with maybe a nice um i do like um either a creme brulee or a pan butter but i'm, I'm going mm-hmm. for the um going for the cheese board so okay so just to recap we've got for you we've got anthony bourdain quentin tarantino mm-hmm. was it pauline kale pauline kale would be my third yes and you're having wings chili dogs and bananas foster i mean that's a winning menu i think there <laughs> and i've got gordon Ramsay, paul mccartney zoe saldano with french onion soup beef or salmon or mushroom wellington and cheese board and cheeses the question is could our guests mix could we have a, a combined party I think the guests are so
1: interesting that they'd all end up just talking to each other and you and I would be like, oh, well, I guess we're just going to listen because, you know, they're such interesting people. It it would be an amazing conversation amongst themselves because I don't even think most of them have even met
0: each other. So, (laughs) Yeah, I think it's fascinating because you've got Anthony Bourdain and and Gordon Ramsay. You'd you'd think, would they attract the talk? You've got Pauline Kell and Quentin Tarantino and Zoe Saldana. And then you've got, oh, Paul McCartney will probably be on the piano in the background playing the music. <laughs>
1: <everyone>. <laughs>
0: like, Paul, we're trying to talk. Turn it down. God. <laughs> before we wrap up, then, was there anything you want to say about any anything we've discussed today? No, this was a fascinating topic.
1: It's honestly something I've never thought about before. Like, I have listened to conversations, not, not necessarily saying podcasts, where like, hey, if you could dine with any dead celebrity or if you could hang out for a day with any celebrity, who would it be? And I've never really thought about it. I actually had to really think about this one. That's why it was an exciting subject to be a part of.
0: That's why I'm really glad you came on for this one, because I, I knew you'd you'd come and you'd have people that you'd, a lot of people just reel off three famous people or like, you know, a famous footballer or, or something. But I knew you'd come with like well thought out things who who, who who mean something to you in your craft. So, yeah, no, cheers for coming on for that. Have you got anything coming up you want to talk about? Or do you want to just shout out anything about your pods before we go?
1: Well, I mean, I'll just throw out a few things. Uh, for the Cult Worthy Cinema podcast, uh, we're coming up on April, and it'll be animation April. So it'll be a month long of animated films, uh, some very happy and, and whimsical, some very traumatic and dark. We'll be having guests on from our pod network and just some other great cinematic podcasters jumping in on those. And then the MILF and me, we are starting to have a lot more guests on. We are going to be having uh, guests on that are local strippers, local comedians, um, people that are uh, relationship coaches. So if you listen to that show, expect a lot more guests in the next couple of months. We're starting to get that lined up. So it's a lot of fun.
0: And if you want to get in touch with me here on Casting Views, you can get hold of me at castingviewspod at gmail.com or on Twitter, we're at Casting Views. And- I like to always finish with i know there's a lot of podcasts from which you can choose so thank you for listening to casting views One, two, three, four. if i want your opinion i will give it to you come on check what we've got because you need it don't make us get a spark and feed it come
1: on